0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to go right back to where we were last week. If you remember last week, we were in Romans chapter 3. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3 again today, and Romans chapter 4 as well. So I'm going to give a little recap about what we talked about last week. That way I can can trigger some of you again. Um, so, So last week... Uh, we, were in, we were talking about the first sola in the series of the five solas. We talked about grace alone. Justification, right, by grace alone. And let me remind you what justification is. To be justified is to be found right or righteous. And in and, and, and our terms, what we, what we wanted to put forward is, where the question we ask is, how can a sinner be made righteous before a holy God that we have personally offended, right? That was the question that we answered last week. Okay? And so, we walked through Paul Paul has this beautiful summary in Romans chapter 3 verses 9 through 18 where he lays out what a what a, what a dead spiritually dead person looks like, right? Remember, uh, they're swift to theater, swift to shed blood. Right? They're they're nothing but deceiving. Comes out of their mouth. Their throat is an open grave because because there's nothing but dead inside of them. Right? So we we paint, Paul painted that picture, and we took two concepts away from those verses. The first concept we took away was human total depravity, that we are. In our fallen state, we are totally depraved, meaning there is not one part of us that has not been impacted by the fall. And then the second concept we took away from that was because of total depravity, because we're totally depraved, because there is none righteous, no, not one, we cannot make a movement toward God. We are actually totally unable to to make a positive decision, or to choose, or to use our free will to follow God, right? I didn't put the free will thing up. That Ben asked me if I needed. I was like, no, we're not going there again this week, right? Okay, but but then we laid out six, six aspects of God's grace, right? So pre- predestinating, electing, grace. Regenerating grace, believing grace, uh, wrath-satisfying grace, um, uh, imputing grace, and then justifying grace. So we laid, we looked at God's grace from all of those aspects last week. Now, this week, I will, let me say something really quickly first. It's not lost on any of your pastors or elders, I want to I I pastor you here for a minute if I can. Okay? It's not lost on us that that these doctrines that many of us have grown up believing, free will being one of them, okay? It's, it's, it's not lost on us that there's wrestling that has to go on with God when we come to the Scriptures. When we come to difficult things in the Scriptures, we know that when god takes our theology and flips it upside down we're not just like all of a sudden comfortable with it right there it takes wrestling it takes it takes prayer it takes going and leaning into the scriptures to 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 understand those things and i'm going to give you an example of when the lord wrecked my theology just so you just so that we're cuz cuz Man, I, I'm dogmatic when I preach, right? I, I'm, because I'm convinced that the scripture says that. I'm convinced in my conscience and by the scriptures that what this word says is true. And so I'm gonna preach with the confidence that I believe it, because I do. But it's not lost on me that not everybody is where we all are. We're all at different places in our walk with Jesus. So, so let me give you an example from my own life. About 10 years ago, I was part of a college and young singles Bible study. And my friend who led the Bible study, he came to me one time and he said, Nick, he said, I want, I want you to teach the Bible study over the next three weeks and you can teach on whatever you want. And right then I knew. I don't know why the Lord put it on my heart. I was like, I'm gonna teach on sin. I don't know why. So I started, I started preparing to teach other people about sin. And I'll tell you what, I came to Romans chapter 3, this is, the, this, is, this is the text that flipped, the Lord just wrecked me. And it took three years of wrestling before I came to a place where I was like, okay, fine, I just, I believe what the Bible says. Okay? I'm going to read you the two verses that just totally wrecked my theology, okay, because I know that there are people in here that are wrestling with these doctrines, election and predestination, and the fact that free will is a myth. And it is. Okay? I know that people are wrestling. But we're all wrestling with something, right? We all come to the scriptures and we're all wrestling with something. God is constantly teaching us and showing us we ain't got it figured out. Amen? I'm going to read you two verses. 25 and 26 of Romans chapter three. It kind of enters in the middle of a thought, so just work with me here. Whom God, that's Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We'll come back to that, obviously. This was to show his righteousness. What was to show his righteousness? The fact that he put his son to death. That was to show his righteousness. And I came to that verse. Let's keep going into verse 26. It was to, because of divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. This was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Th- those two verses, I realized that my salvation was not primarily about me. That's a dynamic that's a dynamic shift in our thought process of today. We live in a man centered world. The church has become a man centered church where it's about what I feel, what I like, and God just flipped that upside down on me. And he showed me your salvation is not about you. And, and I was like, yes, it is. Yes, it is about me. It has to be about me. It's not. And it took me two, three years of wrestling with that truth before I finally just said, "I I just believe. I just have to believe what the Bible says." It was about, it was about His righteousness. He put His Son to death because He's concerned about vindicating His name. He can't just sweep sin under the rug. He's not a just God if He does that, and He is not to be worshipped if He just lets sin. Go. And so I'm like, oh my, what in the world? So I, I have a quote. This is my quote from about four years ago on a podcast that shall not be named, okay? <laughs> right? This is, and I, th- this is Holy Spirit, so okay, I don't, I don't, I'm not this smart. This, listen to this quote. Our salvation is an overflow, of God's faithfulness to himself. Let me say that one more time. Our salvation is an overflow of God's faithfulness to his own righteousness and his own character and nature. And listen listen, I know that that I know that getting out of that man-centered thing is hard for us, but let me tell you, it's good news. That's the best news in the world because if our salvation relies on some decision that we made, not one of us will be saved. Our salvation is rooted in God's very character and nature, not in a decision, and that's the best news in the world for us. And that's what God showed me. But it took years of wrestling with him before I got there. And so I, I wanted to use that time this morning to just give you a, a little pastoral love. Because I know it's not easy when we're throwing out difficult things. But here's my, here's my, here's my encouragement to you. Lean into the scriptures. Lean into the scriptures through prayer and wrestling with God. He will take you to the truth. He will not let you continue down a, a path of untruth. If you want to know the truth, he will reveal it to you through his word. So go. I hope that helps some this morning. I just felt convicted of that. That I wanted you to know that as your pastors, we we love you and, and we we're not all in the same place theologically. We're not all in the same place at all. We're all wrestling with something. Would you pray with me? God, would you this morning turn our affections of our heart to you? Would we magnify Jesus through your word this morning? Would you convict us where we need convicting? Would you, would you love us and, 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 and apply the gospel where we need the gospel applied this morning? Would your spirit move, continue to move in this place? It is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Okay. Sola number two today. Grace alone last week, right, from start to finish, right, before the foundation of the world it began, and it will be all the way till our glorification, it's God's work. It's his grace. Today, sola fide, by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone, and this was where Martin Luther planted the flag hard. He, he planted it. So I want to define faith for us. <clears throat> the Greek word for faith is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, or believe, which is pistuo, okay? Both have the same root. And, and, and literally, it's translated confidence, Okay, now I'm gonna give you a couple of examples. Because by the way, every one of us has already had faith this morning. And I'm not talking about faith in Jesus, okay? Probably nobody walked here this morning, right? When you got in your car, you put the faith, your confidence that the car was gonna get you to your destination. And by the way, when you started going to your destination, guess what, it was no longer in your hands whether you were gonna to get to that destination or not. It was, it was the car that was gonna get you there, Right? Now, if you did walk here, you probably, that's a lot of faith walking down 92, but okay. <laughs> every, every one of you sitting in a chair this morning, you're putting faith in that chair. You're confident. When you went to sit in the chair, your confidence was no longer in yourself that you weren't going to fall to the ground. Your confidence was in the chair. You put your faith in the chair, right? And here's my favorite one, okay, because I'm going to come back and use this one later probably. Bungee jumping. Right, When you're on a 300-foot bridge and you have a cord attached to you and you decide you're going to jump off of a bridge, that's faith. And that's not faith in Jesus. I mean, I guess you can have faith in Jesus, but you're you're putting your faith that that bungee is not going to snap and you're going to plummet to your death. That's faith. You're taking your confidence off of yourself and you're putting it onto another. That's what that's what faith is. Okay? And faith, if we look at it that way, right? Confidence off of ourself and onto another. What's implied in that definition? What's implied in that definition is what we talked about last week man's inability. If we have to put, if we have to take all of our confidence off of ourselves, that means we recognize whatever that we're confident we can do, we realize we can't do it. So literally, the definition of faith confirms and affirms man's total inability that we spoke about last week, because we have to put our confidence in someone else or something else to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, and in this case, it's justification, right? In this case, it's we're how we're made right with God. So we have to recognize that we're a sinner, but then we ha- then we have to take our confidence off of ourselves to fix that problem and put our confidence in someone else who has the remedy for that problem. And that person is Jesus. I didn't give you. I did not give you these verses. I'm so sorry. Can you do Philippians three, three through six for us? I'm so sorry. I meant to get them to you. It's my bad. I'm just going to read them from up here if I can. <laughs> Paul, in the book of Philippians, he lays out his fleshly accomplishments. If, if there was one person, if there was one person that could, that could have confidence in themselves to be righteous, Outside of Christ, it was Paul. It was Paul. No? Okay. Philippians 3. I'll just read verses 3 through 6. Okay, there we go. So, this is, this is it. Listen. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence where? In the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised eight day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, look at this part, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and what? As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Guess what Paul recognized just a few verses later? He called all of that a pile of poo. He did. Why? Because he knew that none of those things were going to make him righteous. None of those things. He had more confidence in his flesh than anybody else, he had, but he had none. He realized all of those things. When the Lord saved him, he realized all of those things were a pile of steamy poo. So I wanna give a little context right here what the Roman Catholic view of faith is, okay? Just to know what Martin Luther was up against and why he was was so adamant, okay? In the Roman Catholic faith, faith is a free will choice of someone making an initial step toward God. God doesn't come to them. We have to make our initial step toward God. God. That's what faith is in the Roman Catholic Church. Right? And then, and then as we talked about last week, then those sacramental system in the church begins and continues to infuse grace into that person who has made that step toward God. And then they do, they, they use that grace to go and do works that please God. Okay? Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on the door of the castle in Wittenberg on Halloween 1517, okay? And there were guys that took on his mantle in the Reformation, okay, that kept, kept that going. And the Catholic Church decided, we can't let this happen. So they called a council in 1545. It's called the Council of Trent, Okay? And in this council, they're dealing with all these wild-eyed reformers that are like, the Catholic Church is wrong, right? It's sola, 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 sola. And the Catholic Church is like, man, we got to take care of these guys. They're causing all this trouble. So they, they had a council that came together. And I'm going to read you four statements that are directly from that council. This is Roman Catholic doctrine, okay? Faith cooperates with good works and increases our justification, So justification is not by faith alone. It's with works that increase our justification. That's a problem. Justification is a process that may wax or wane in this life. Good works play a role in justification. These are direct quotations from the Council of Trent. Listen to this. If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious are justified, let him be anathema. They believed that sola fide was heresy, that they would be accursed if they believed that. Right? So Martin Luther, he, this is what he's seeing, right? Okay, Faith and works in the Roman Catholic tradition are symbiotic to accomplish eventually, down the road, justification. Let me tell you what we affirm about justification. It's not a process. Justification is not a process. When the Lord regenerates a person's heart and they place their faith in Jesus, boom, they're justified right then. There's nothing that they have to do to accomplish it. It's the work of God. It's immediate when saving faith is placed in Jesus Christ and belief and faith in the gospel, justification happens immediately. And it's complete. Now, sanctification is a lifelong process, but justification happens immediately. Everybody okay so far? Oh boy, got 29 minutes. Okay. So here's what I've done. Five Reasons from wrote that halfway through the book of Romans, chapter three, I got and in all of that chapter four, I've got five reasons why justification is by faith alone, and it can only be that way. Five reasons. Okay? reason number one: justification must be by faith alone, sola fide, because of the object. Of our faith. It can only be by faith because of the object of our faith. Who is the object of our faith? It's Jesus. Look at, look at verse 22 of chapter 3. It says this the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It has to be by faith alone because of the object of our faith. Look at verse 26. We just read it a little while ago. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's, it's be, we can't accomplish perfection the way that we're required to on our own. It has to be by faith alone because of the object of our faith. Jesus is the only perfect man. He's the only one who fulfilled the law of God. He's the only one that lived a perfectly righteous life. And therefore, as the object of our faith, it must be by faith, not by anything that we can do to get to or accomplish that. Verses 24 and 25, I'm gonna give, give you a doctrine I'm sure we've talked about before. Verses 24 and 25, it has to be by faith alone because of the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. Look at verses 24 and 25. And are justified, there's our word, by grace as a gift through the redemption of That is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption, it means to buy back. It means to purchase. So so we were dead in our sins. We were slaves to Satan and we were walking in his ways and we had nowhere else to go, nothing that we could do and Jesus came and he purchased us out of that, out of enslavement to sin and to Satan. Look at verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith remember we talked about that word propitiation last week it means to satisfy the wrath of an angry party right so so god put forward that's the substitutionary part right god put forward as a substitute his son in our place and placed his wrath on his son in the place of the wrath that we deserve and his blood by the blood of jesus god's wrath was now atoned for his, our sins are now atoned for It can only be by faith because none of that can be done apart from uh, of our own accord. None of that. We can't accomplish any of those things. So it's got to be by faith alone because of the object of our faith. And let me say this. If the object of our faith can't carry the weight necessary, then our faith is meaningless. We need, we need a savior that can carry the weight of the faith of all those who believe in him. It's only Jesus. He took the sin of the world on his shoulders. He took the cup of the wrath of God on himself. Listen, I, I'd be willing to die for some of y'all, but it wouldn't do you any good. It wouldn't do any good. I couldn't take your sin Right? I could, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't help you in your salvation. But Jesus took the wrath of God and the sins on himself, and then he rose from the grave. That is a weight that he can carry in him alone. He can support the faith of all of us, all who would come to him. He can support that. Faith alone, because of the object of our faith, Sola fide. Number two, justification. It has to be by faith alone because it's a gift. Justification is a gift. Look at verse 24 again. And are justified by his grace, what? As a gift. Let me ask you something. You ever go? You ever have a birthday party for yourself, and uh, and someone someone comes up to you and they're like, "Hey, I got you a really cool gift. I can't wait to, for you to see what I got you. I just need you to come over to the house first and mow my grass, give my dogs a bath, clean the baseboards in the house, and uh, and uh, and clean out the you know clean out the air air filter in the in the attic. If you just do those things, I'll be happy to give you your gift." It's no longer a gift at that point in time. You're getting what you what they owe you at that point in time. It is now a wage rather than a gift. It's something that you have deserved because you worked for it. In Romans chapter 4 chapter 4 verse 4, Paul addresses this. Look what he says in Romans chapter 4 verse 4. Now to the one who works, that is for justification. Now to the one who works, what? His wages are not counted as a gift, but what? As his due. Let me be clear. We do not want what we are due. We do not want that. If we're, if we're going to work, if we're going to work for our salvation, if we, if we think we're going to do good works and God's just going to reward us, oh boy, he, you're going to get it. You're going to get what you deserve. We all are. In Colossians, Paul speaks of a record of debt that we owe to God. Did you know that if it's by works, if justification is by works, every single day, everything you do is just accruing a debt that you owe to God that you will never be able to pay? Every single day. Let me, let, me, let me illustrate that real quick. Say you go to work this week, and you work 50 hours, hard work, and your boss comes to you at the end of the week, and he's like, Nick, you owe us $100,000. <laughs> like, but I did the work. That's right. And you owe us hundred dollars Cough it up. That's what happens if we want to work for our salvation is we have a tab that's just accruing all the time and we will never be able to pay that tab and we'll get what we're due. That's what Romans chapter four, verse four just said. If if it's by works, okay, we'll give you what you're owed and that's not good. That is not good. I wanna point out one other thing and we said this last week justification is a gift to be received by faith alone. But remember, faith also is a gift. Romans, I mean, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift. So it's a double gifting, right? That makes it doubly not about us, triply not about us. Right? If the faith that we have to receive our justification by faith alone is not even something that we have within ourselves to do, that also is a gift. It's a gift, double gifting, a gift of a gift, grace upon grace. That's what it is. It just helps us to know that we're, we're, not, we're not in charge of this thing. Right? This, it's not a, it's not about us. It's a gift. It's by, by faith alone, because it's a gift. If it's by works, it's no longer a gift. Number three. <clears throat> righteousness. It has to be by faith alone because righteousness is counted to us. It's credited to us. Right? If it's by works, we'll get what we're owed. Right? And that's bad. But if it's, if it's by faith alone, then instead of our account being trillions of dollars in debt because of our works, our account now is full of righteousness. Whereas our, our account, if we're working, it's just full of sin. There's nothing we can do to repay it. But if it's by faith alone, our account has been credited infinite righteousness. So it must be by faith alone. Go to chapter 4 with me. We're going to read some text. We're going we're to read a chunk here together so that we can see this, okay? The, 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 the Greek word for credited or counted is logizomai, okay? And Paul uses that word 11 times just in chapter 4. 11 times. That's what chapter 4 is about. Chapter 4 is literally about being justified by faith alone. So let's walk through some of the text together. Let's start in verse 3. He's going to use, by the way, he's going to use Abraham as an example. Okay? Okay? Because Abraham is, we'll see, that Abraham is the father of all believers. Chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited or counted to him as righteousness. Remember, what was the the promise? Well, the promise was that Abraham was going to have a son, Right? And that's and through his offspring, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. It's the gospel. He God preached the gospel to Abraham. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Okay? Abraham was justified because now, Jews, Jews in the first century, Abraham was like their guy. I mean, they looked up to Abraham. They were like, he's the the man. And they believed that Abraham was actually justified because he truly was righteous. And so Paul Paul has this tension here with the Jews in Rome, right? Because some of them are believing that Abraham truly was he just did good works and God was like, "Yeah, he's a righteous man." So here's here's my question to you then. And this is a beautiful thing. How was Abraham saved? If God could look at him and say, "Because of your faith, I count you righteous." How is Abraham saved? This is incredible. Abraham is saved the same way you and I are saved. He's saved by the perfect righteousness of Christ being credited to his account. He's he's looking forward. Now, he doesn't have a clear view. He doesn't have a clear view as we, we can look back and see the cross. We we have the benefit of being, we we have the whole of scripture, right? We have all of this. Praise God we have this. Abraham didn't have it. He didn't have a clear picture of what's happening, but he believed God. He had faith that God would do what he said he was going to do. And so Abraham was saved by Christ the same way you and I are. Abraham needed his sins removed just like you and I need our sins removed. Abraham needed a foreign righteousness just like you and I need a foreign righteousness Our sins, Abraham's sins, were put on Jesus on the cross, and Jesus' perfect righteousness was imputed to Abraham, just like with us. It's the great exchange that we talked about last week. Right? We receive His righteousness; He takes our sin. It's not very fair, but beautiful. Look at verse. uh, Let's go to verse four. We just read it, right? Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. Look at verse five. And to the one who does not work, but what? Believes in him who justifies those who are pretty good people. Oh, that's not, right? When I I preach the gospel to people who are unbelievers, that's one of the things they always say. That's one of their pushbacks is, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I pay my taxes, right? I'm friends with all the folks on the cul-de-sac. Right? We, all, we all get along. I, I lend some sugar or some, some oil when my neighbors need it, right? T- I tr- typically treat people pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. Man, that's, that's, that's doctrines of demons there. That's that's false, and that's a that's a hard chasm to get over when you're evangelizing someone, right? No, who justifies the ungodly? But guess what? Those who do not work, right? If you work, no gift. You get what you're owed. You don't want that. But if you don't work and you simply believe, then you will be justified. It's incredible. Right? Jacob and Esau. Let me give you this example. Which one was godly? Which one was godly? Who, which one was godly? God, said, God said, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. So that must mean that, that Jacob was better in some way, right? He was godly. No! No, everyone in this room is Esau. We all are Esau. We all should be hated by God. We just read an imprecatory, we just sung an imprecatory song just a little while ago. Bring the wrath on the unbeliever. God hates sin in the center. Right, we just read it. We're all Esau's, every one of us. It's scandalous that God would save even one of us. That's a scandal. It's a scandal that he loved Jacob. We're all Esau. God is a God who justifies the ungodly by faith in Christ alone. We'll get there next week. We talked about this a little last week too. Don't don't bring our counterfeit coins to God to buy His treasures. That's filthy rags. God is, God hates that. He's perfect and just and righteous and eternal. And we wanna bring our little scraps to him and be like, see, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. No, no, that's offensive to God. That, that demeans the cross is what it does. We have to let go of those things that we use in self-righteous ways. We have to put those things away. Verses six through eight. I'm gonna go, I gotta go quickly here. Six through eight. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom, God, whom the Lord does not count his sin does not credit his sin. Okay, listen, if it's by works, guess what? Our lawless deeds are not forgiven. If it's by work, our sins are not covered. If it's by works, he will not, he will count our sin against us. Faith nullifies works completely. Look down to uh, verse 11. Verse, yep, yeah, I wanna read verse 11. He, still speaking of Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who, what, believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. You know, from the time God told Abraham he was righteous, he he counted him righteous, you know how long it was till he got circumcised? 14 years. It's not by anything. And circumcision in the Jewish faith, that's pretty important. It's a sign of the covenant. It doesn't justify. Going to church every Sunday will never justify any of us. Being in a small group, being in a forged group, being in a dwelling, that will never justify any of us. Uh, being, just being trying to be a good person, treating people well, that will not justify any of us. Abraham was not justified by his circumcision. He was justified because he believed what God said. I want to finish right here. Let's, get, let's, go, let's go to the end of chapter 4. I want to read just a few verses here at the end of chapter 4. Uh, starting in verse 22. It says this. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. It's not just about Abraham. Paul's applying Abraham's faith alone in his justification. Paul's applying that to the church. It's by faith alone for all of us. It's what it's it's been from the beginning. Why did Adam and Eve fall? Because they didn't believe what God said. They believed the serpent instead. They had faith. They had faith in themselves. And that's why sin entered the world. They thought they could get it done without listening to what God said it's by faith for that reason. All right, number 4. Number 4. We got a we got a boogie. <clears throat> we'll go quickly here. Number 4, it's by faith alone because faith excludes boasting. Faith excludes boasting. Look at the end of chapter 3 starting in verse 27. then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. If, it, if, our, if our justification had something to do with our works, you could look at the person next to you and be like, <laughs> I did it, you didn't, right? I got there, you didn't get there. It's like, it's like the Pharisee when he was in the temple with the guy who couldn't even lift his eyes up to the Lord. And he was beating his chest. And the Pharisee just said, thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. Who left there justified? The other man, right? We get in such a habit of comparing ourselves to other people. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to following Jesus, there's, there's no way we can compare Because it's not by anything that you or I have done at all. Look at verse 28. This is the verse that convinced Luther that it was by faith alone. Verse 28. Look what it says. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He actually added the word alone there after faith. He actually added it in. By faith alone, apart from works of the law. That's incredible. Look at verses 29 and 30. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. There's a tension in the Roman church and in a lot of churches in the first century. There are Jews and Gentiles worshiping together and there's confusion about what justification actually means. And Paul is making it clear here that the Jew has no benefit over the Gentile in salvation or justification because it is by faith alone. Nobody can look to anyone else and say, I did something that you didn't do. Even faith, even faith, because it is a gift. If someone believes and someone else doesn't, that person who believed can't look at that person who doesn't believe and say, I just did something that you didn't do. Or I just assented intellectually to something that you obviously clearly couldn't get to. <laughs> There's no boasting. None. Look at, look at, verses, look at verses 1 and 2 uh, of chapter 4. What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. You might have something you can boast about. Maybe, you, you know, maybe you're an artist and you, you know, painted a really pretty picture, right? Or you're uh, a house builder, a tent maker, I don't know, right? And you built a really great tent, You might be able to boast about your tent but you can't bring that before God and say, look what I did. Nope. There's nothing that we can do to bring any of our works before God. It's nothing. They're all filthy rags. Number five. Last one. Why is it by faith alone? Why is justification by faith alone? Because faith upholds the law. Faith upholds the law. Look at chapter 3, the end of the chapter, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Faith doesn't nullify the law. It upholds it. What, is, what does that mean? What is that, what is that saying? It's saying, if you love Jesus, you obey his commands. That's what it's saying. Paul says, Paul says, Paul told, writing, he said, I love your law. He wrote about the Lord. I love your law. Why? Because he's a man of faith, right? When those shackles come off, when that yoke of the law is removed from us by Jesus, when we no longer are under the weight of our sin, we're free to do what? Obey the law. We're not free to just go on sinning, doing whatever we want to. That's not, Paul said, should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? By no means. No. If you have saving faith, we should be pursuing holiness and obedience to the law of God. Ezekiel, I didn't give you this, I'm just gonna go real quick. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. It says this, it says, He took a heart of stone out and he put in a heart of flesh. And when he put that heart of flesh in, he did what? He caused them to obey my statutes and my rules. Why? Because a heart, a regenerated heart of faith is a heart of obedience. A heart of faith It's a heart of obedience. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33 says the same thing. I will write my law upon their heart and they will be careful to obey it. Right? Faith does not nullify the law. It upholds it. Have five charges that I want to give you. Rapid fire quickly here. Action items, if you will. Number one, maybe you do have a heart of faith, but you haven't, you've been obeying old worldly desires. You've returned to the, to the lusts of your flesh. You're in a season of sin, backsliding, but you do have a heart of faith. Return to Christ this morning. Come to Him. Repent of your sin. Take your eyes off of those things and focus your eyes back on the Savior. Come to Him. We we have this terrible habit as Christians when we get caught up in a a season of sin. We're just, we get in this habit of, I just need to do better. I just got to do better. I just got to quit sinning. Now, do you need to quit sinning? Yes, stop sinning, please. But that's, we've got, we've got the order backwards. The order is backwards. We don't stop sinning and we don't do better and then come to Jesus. No, we return to Jesus now and repent of our sins and he and the Holy Spirit will work through us to kill the sin. We don't, we, don't, we don't make ourselves better and then return to Jesus. So this morning, if you're in that season, if you have a heart of faith, return to Jesus in faith this morning. Number two, you may be in this room this morning and you, man, the Lord is just, your faith is strong as it's ever been. Never been stronger. The Lord is growing you. He's strengthening you. He's deepening in your faith. He's strengthening your faith. How are you pouring into others? How are you using that faith to pour that out into others? Are you in a small group? Are you in a dwell or forged group where you have an opportunity to to pour into other brothers and sisters? What about are you are you using that, that time of richness in your faith to disciple somebody one on one? What about, what about evangelizing the lost? If the Lord is strengthening you and growing you and you're in a great place in your faith, are you, in, are you just in your little holy huddle or are you concerned with those who are walking in darkness? Number three, maybe you're in here and you're younger in your faith. Maybe you haven't been a Christian very long. Are you getting yourself around mature believers? Are you you plugging yourself in to the church body where older women, you're commanded in the pastoral epistles to pour into the younger women of the church? Younger women, are you seeking that? Are you seeking that discipleship? Are you seeking to get around people that that can sharpen your faith and deepen your faith? men, Older men who have been Christians for decades, are you pouring into the younger men in this church? Are you pushing into the word of God? Are you digging into the word? Are you spending time with the Lord, wrestling in prayer with what the word says? Number four. Maybe you're in this room this morning and God is testing you. You're in a testing time of your faith. Maybe, you, maybe, maybe your marriage is rocky. Maybe, you're fam- maybe you have a family member who is sick. Maybe, you're, maybe you lost a job. And the Lord, is. there's, there's a testing going on. Let me, let me encourage you with this. Our natural instinct, instinct is to retreat, is to pull away. I submit to you this morning, you need to lean in to Christ. Lean in to his word. Lean into this church body, your fellowship, people that can encourage you in your faith and hold you accountable if necessary. Don't retreat. It's the body of Christ for for a reason. We're one body. We need all, we need all of the members of the body to be healthy. Don't retreat. Number five. Maybe you're in this room and you don't have saving faith. You've never trusted in Christ. You've never put your faith in him. This morning, I would implore you, come. Come to Christ. Throw all those things of this world aside. Throw all of those sins aside and come to Christ this morning. Trust in his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection this morning. And you can be freed from sin and death. Come to Him this morning. Let's pray. God, would you bring your word alive in us this morning? Would you help us to to take these challenges to heart? Would you draw us into deeper abiding faith in Christ this morning through your spirit? It's in his mighty name we pray, amen.